As a father, I've experienced a void creative of my absence. I know what it's like to chase success in the workplace while the family takes a backseat. This is a podcast for hardworking fathers looking to level up their fathering skills and be more than just a paycheck or provider for the home. Today, I want to welcome Mark Real Jr. He is a father of three and a half year old twins and a Southern California law attorney who focuses exclusively on representing fathers. Prior to becoming an attorney, Mark spent a decade as an executive in the sports and fitness industry, where he worked for multiple major league baseball franchises and one of the biggest fitness brands in the country before deciding to leave and follow his passion of helping fathers by opening a law firm to represent fathers in family law courts throughout Southern California. Super stoked to have you on here today, brother. Thanks for coming out on this episode, Mark. Yeah, thank you very much. My pleasure. Um, I've, I've been, I've, had the opportunity to listen to you for a little while now and excited to get on and chat a little bit. Absolutely, brother. Hey, I wanted to have you kick things off today by having you give our listeners just a little bit of your story, both personally and professionally, if you don't mind. Yeah, definitely. So um, you hit on a lot of it. I am, uh, I'm Indiana born and raised. Um, I went to law school in Chicago, um, Chicago Kent College of Law. I graduated back in 2017. Um, before, during, and after law school, I was working in the sports and in, uh, fitness industries, mm-hmm. um, worked with a couple major brands. There were some startups, uh, did a little bit of everything. Um, in 2017, personally, um, found myself in California family law courts. Um, it was something I knew nothing about before I personally ended up there with my own case, um, was very lonely, didn't know what to do, didn't know what to think, thought I was the only one. Uh, My eyes were very much open to how large this community is and how underserved uh, fathers are. And that's what really, really sparked the idea. Uh, 2020, I got the opportunity to kind of slow down with COVID, uh, basically shutting the fitness industry down. And I made the decision that the time was now that I needed to get out there and uh, start helping dads. And uh, that's, that's how and when uh, Real Fathers Rights was founded. Um, like you said, Southern California family law attorney. I only represent dads, um, primarily in child custody issues. And um, it's something that's personal to me. I don't think it's that way to a lot of attorneys, but the child custody portion of it and working with dads is something that is uh, very much my, my purpose and my passion project. Mm, yeah, it's so awesome to see that you're doing this, Mark, because there's so many guys out there like you touched on that are just being run through the ringer, you know, through the court system. Um, I want to read you something that I read. Okay, it said that divorced dads have a far-reaching effect on their children's psychological and well-being identity. Kids who have a close bond with their fathers have a better chance of becoming self-confident individuals than those who lose their fathers after divorce. So I want to kind of dive into this topic that we're talking about, okay? Mark, what are some practical steps fathers can take to improve their effectiveness in the household with their children and with their baby's mama? Yeah, I think the the first thing is it's always got to be kids first. You can't necessarily control how how the other party's going to act. You can't control what your co-parent's going to say or do. Um, But we've we've seen in study after study after study, just the presence of a father improves essentially every metric of physical well-being, education, mental health. 
So just being present, you may be restricted. You may find yourself at times where the kids are withheld from you. We hear about those stories all the time, but when you get that opportunity, you absolutely have to be present and you cannot allow your feelings towards your co-parent. You cannot allow the bitterness, your ego, the shame, any of that to get in the way of, even if it's a limited amount of time, the, the time that you are presented with being able to be the parent your children need. Um, I see it over and over again, where essentially guys get bitter. Um, they want to take it out on their co-parent or maybe the co-parents being difficult and the father is returning the favor and being just as difficult. And it ends up being the kid missing out on time with his father. If his father would just kind of, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to chill with the ego for right now. It's just going to be about me spending time with my children. Everything's not going to be made perfect overnight, but I'm going to do everything I can to spend as much time as possible with my children. It seems like what you touched on right there, a lot of it falls down to communication. You know, just keeping it open with, with your significant other or your partner or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Um, like you said, keeping your ego in check. You know what I mean? I, I know that's hard. You know, I've never been in that situation, but a lot of fathers I've spoke to, they say, man, how could I even deal with this person? You know, they're completely irrational in their way of thinking or beliefs. You know what I mean? But like you said, level minds prevail, correct? Yeah, that's the number one thing that gets guys in trouble uh, that are in family law court. Um, I, I tell everyone rule number one um, in not such a PG way when it's uh, when I'm talking to a client, but rule number one is shut up. Um, in family law court, no matter what you think, no matter what you want, um, men's words are usually what ends up harming their case the most. Uh, they get emotional. We're biologically wired to be protectors. We're biologically wired to be aggressive and to be able to keep our family safe. And you see some of that come out, especially early on in a case where a guy will say something emotionally. And then before the case even really gets off the ground or gets started, and they may have a legitimate shot at 50-50. And all of a sudden they are fighting a restraining order over texts they've sent, over phone calls they've made, over visits to uh, their co-parents' house. And there was really no risk of harm. It was, it was just emotion. Emotion got the best of them. And we're hardwired to be the, that protector. And when that ability is limited, um, it can come across as anger. Another piece of it is the fear. Uh, I think every guy going into this is like, hey, the family law court's against me. I'm screwed. I'm not going to be able to see my kids as much as I want. And anger is not a primary emotion. Fear is. So we're afraid that we're going to lose our kids. We're going to lose our purpose. And then that emotion comes across as anger. And anger from a man uh, in family law court is going to be an issue 10 times out of 10. It's mm. going to give the other side... The, they're going to leverage that against you no matter what. And it, it could be just the first two weeks of the issue. You send a couple angry texts and those texts will be attached to every single filing for the next two and a half years as you wind your way through the system. Hmm. Hmm. I like what you said about fear and anger. Um, I, what's the, I was on a Zoom call with the guy from 
the Gurian Institute, okay? He does the Spokane Father in Initiative out there, okay? And he's a psychologist, his name's Michael Gurian. And he touched base on how fathers, men in general, we don't know how to express our feelings, so we suppress them. And in turn, that turns into depression. And the way men act out depression, it's different than women. It comes out in anger. So do you think that has a lot to do with the anger that you're talking about and, and acting out in these emotions and stuff like that? 100%. And you think about it. I mean, I, I go back to those issues. I go back to shame. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of guys that feel a great deal of shame when they're going through child custody proceedings. Mm -hmm. They're every other weekend dad, or they just get video visits, or they just get one phone call a week, or they get nothing. Well, we're hardwired as men to just suck it up and figure it out. Like we don't go talk to our friends. We don't go talk to our families about the difficulty that we are going through. Mm -hmm. um, and it's 100% because we're ashamed of the situation. And that just bottles up and it creates frustration and the system moves slow. And you're just hoping over and over again that the situation is going to change so you can talk to friends and family. I tell every guy going through it, one of the first things you need to do is go find yourself a therapist that works for you. Um, so you have someone to talk to. Uh, guys don't like talking about mental health, but this is going to be one of the most stressful things you go through in your entire life especially if it's high conflict and you have to have that support system around you, or it's just going to eat you alive from the inside. And you're talking about the depression and the anger and the frustration and all that stuff is going to come out at all the wrong times. Mm, no, I, I agree with you hundred percent, man. Um, I read somewhere on the homes and race stress scale. That's how they, you know, measure stress levels in, in human beings and stuff like that. And it says that divorce as the second most stressful life event behind only death of a spouse or child. And that men experience so much anxiety and heartache in general people that your health is bound to suffer. What are some of the experiences you've dealt with or have seen and how have you overcame those health issues and stuff like that and this pain that you feel that's real? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's one of those things like it goes back to guys just hate talking about emotions. Mm -hmm. And this is just a very emotional topic. Um, for me personally, I started out in this. And even though I was a law school graduate, I knew nothing about family law court. Mm -hmm. I thought I was alone. I thought I was the only one. Um, I was lucky enough uh, that the attorney that I was referred to educated me. Mm -hmm. He helped me out. Um, I think the uncertainty that a lot of guys face when going through family law court uh, really, really impacts their physical, mental, and emotional well-being. And so getting yourself educated, I think a lot of attorneys fall short, um, whether it be fear of losing a client or whatever it may be, of just educating how the system works, what's going on, what are the likely outcomes, here's what we're going to do, here's why we're going to do it. And that, that does worlds to calm someone's mind in a situation where uncertainty will just drive them crazy 24 seven. And I think number two is finding yourself that support system. If mm -hmm. you don't have family or friends or someone you feel comfortable that you can call and vent to whenever you need to find that therapist, even if you do find that therapist, uh, identify that friend or family member that you can confide everything in and you can get it out of your system. 
And I think that one of the biggest things that helped me was I, I was working in the fitness industry at the time, but I really buried myself into getting in the best shape I could, um, working out, relieving that stress. It was a time where I could take my mind off of what was going on. So you really got to find your own way, but, but find people you can talk to and you can vent to, even if that's your attorney, a um, little bit of a pricey move to vent to your attorney. Yeah. Um, much cheaper to go find a therapist that's uh, half or a third the cost and to meet with them and have those conversations and talk about emotions or at bare minimum, identify that friend or family member and say, I'm just going to need to vent sometimes like you're the one that's going to keep me sane. So I, I think it's a combination of really all of those things, educating yourself, finding the people you can talk to about how you're feeling Mm -hmm. And then finding what your stress relievers are, whether that's going on a run, whether that's playing Xbox, whether that's lifting weights, whatever it may be, shooting baskets, find those activities that you can go to that can mm -hmm. help relieve stress. Because when you're under stress, that's when you're going to make the mistakes. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's so much valuable information that you just shared with us, Mark. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you that I always get is what are some ways divorced dads can stay in touch with their kids? Like, what have you, what do you recommend? So that's, that's a very situation dependent and yes. age dependent question. Uh, it could be, I mean, what guys need to realize is that as you're winding through the, the system and you're winding through very state to state, but you could see more time with your kids. You could see less time. Like if you have teenagers, I, I've seen guys have a lot of success. They got teenage boys and they hop on in the evenings and play Call of Duty with them, um, meeting them where they're at. They may not want to call or, I mean, what 16-year-old wants to spend an hour every night on the phone with a parent? Yeah. Uh, not, not many of them, but meeting them where they're at, being present at all their activities. Mm -hmm. And even if they don't respond, shooting that text, telling them you're proud of them when you see they did well on a test or that maybe, maybe because of the situation, you don't get to see them after a, a soccer game or a, a recital or something, but shooting them that text saying, Hey, I'm proud of you. I was here tonight. I can't wait to talk to you again. Um, so it's, it's really situation dependent, but it really just comes down to being as present as possible. Mm -hmm. um, that that's the main thing. Like you have to be available because they're going to, whether they can actually verbalize that, they are going to understand that you're available to them and for them. Mm, no, I like that. that. That's amazing. I had one of our fathers who called in and he was talking about how what he does is since the court system doesn't allow him to, to see his, his child, he's recording videos, kind of like a log, you know what I'm saying? That way, when he does get to see his child, he can be like, look, I was intentional. Here's the videos, son. You know what I mean? And I, I thought that was, it was as heartbreaking as it sounds. I mean, it's actually really, it's, it's a good thing to do that. You know what I mean? It's therapeutic. Yeah. I, I've had several therapists that they recommend, like, even when your children are really little, whether it be starting an email account. And every day or every couple days or every time something happens, you mm -hmm. draft up an email and send it to send it to that email or you get a journal and every so often you write to them. Mm -hmm. And it, it's something that's going to that for a lot of people helps their mental state and helps where they're at in a headspace nature. Mm -hmm. But also it's something that 
you can later in life gift to the child. Like, let's say you, you were withheld for, from the time they were 12 until they were 18. And maybe at that time you go hand that, or you send them a text message and say, Hey, here's the email address. Here's the password. Um, here's what I've been doing for the last six years. Or you hand them the journal that you've been writing into them for the past, however many years. And it's obviously something very meaningful to you, but mm-hmm. it, it can be something to show to your child that, Hey, I was, I was present but I wasn't allowed to physically be there for you. Mm-hmm. Man, those are all great points right there, Mark. Truly, truly. I kind of wanted to transition now a little bit to four biggest challenges that I read about divorced fathers, okay? One of them being that the family court system seems to work against divorced fathers. Why do you think that is, Mark? Seems. That's a very weak <laughs> word. Um, so. I, um, I have some very strong opinions on this. So I think we need to look back at the history of it. So the depending on the state you're in, the custody laws, the way they're pretty much structured and written are anywhere from 50 to 80 years old. Okay. Um, And there was a conscious effort in the 60s and 70s around from uh, feminist groups that their membership base pushed for, they're pushing for equality, Mm -hmm. but they also didn't want to give up decision-making rights with the child. So there were these large and rapidly growing feminist groups who lobbied and pushed very hard to get it to the point where, hey, the woman is the one who gets to make child decisions in divorce and separation. Because you think about it, so we came out of World War II, and when we came out of World War II, there were a ton of women that were in the workforce. There was a push to get women back in the homes. I mean, we have the baby boomer generation, and, and so they went back. They, they, there was an active push to get them back in the homes and to be caregivers of the children. As we transitioned to more modern times, there was that push to make sure that women got to keep uh, the decision-making power. So there's actually sexist roots in the way things are done. And you look at current times, there's really currently right now, if you talk about father's rights, it can be a a radioactive topic um, because you're still getting that pushback from the feminist groups, from the domestic violence groups, uh, from the bar associations, um, all for their own reasons as to why they're pushing back from it. So it's one of those things where there's no political capital to be gained from creating change. Now, we were lucky um, this year, Arkansas passed the, uh, the second, uh, second state in the country to pass a presumption of 50-50 custody. Uh, they actually got it by clear and convincing evidence. Missouri is running up against the buzzer here. They, they got an outside shot to get it this year. Uh, but uh, it, it's one of those things where there's roots uh, in actual verified sexism as to why things are the way they are. And we look at now, we have over 125 studies that show that equal and shared parenting or maximizing the amount of time with each parent is what's in the best interest for the child. Out of Kentucky, who's had their laws on the book since 2017 and 2018, domestic violence goes down in 50-50 presumption states. 
Uh, we have stats from the Women's Legal Center that show that uh, mothers who have 50-50 custody are 54% more likely to make $100,000 a year. So despite all of the facts, all of the numbers that we have, right now we haven't built up enough goodwill to, for someone to gain the political capital to really attack this issue. And we, we keep seeing it over and over again where, I mean, National Parents Organization has statistics that in most states, it's north of 85% of the population thinks equal and shared parenting is the best option. Wow, man, those statistics are amazing. Um, I want to ask you something I, I, that I heard going back to feminism and stuff like that, okay? Now, I was listening to Michael Gurian once again. He was talking about sexism and feminism and stuff like that. He said that he was very biased, even to the point where in psychology, right, that psychology is even geared towards women. You know what I mean? And his theory was, how do you get a man to sit for 50 minutes when we have these sensors in our in our arteries and our legs, right? And our femoral arteries and stuff like that to where we sit, our body naturally goes into a relaxed state after 20 minutes. He's like, oh, you, it's, it's almost impossible to get a man to sit there and talk about his feelings. So even psychology itself is geared more towards women. And that, that was one of his arguments. Another one he said too, the whole rise behind feminism is that it started with a jaded mother, right? And also our culture speaking up against fathers and stuff like that. You know, he said in reference to that would be like, look at Homer Simpson, look at all, all the, the political backlash against fathers, you know, they're aggressive or a father is looked at as an oak on television and stuff like that. And there's always been this push to try to get the father figure out of the picture. And I want to stop that, you know what I mean? Because I mean, obviously your, your statistics both agree that a 50-50 custody is better for the child for its growth and development and stuff like that. But my question is, why is it such a big push to get the father out, the head of the household, out of the home, out of the picture? You know, yeah, this is a 50 or 60 year problem. You yeah. have to realize this started in the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. That's when this started. So in, in recent years, I, I, in recent years, you've seen a growth in awareness around this issue. Mm -hmm. But you have to realize the domestic violence groups, they, they won their push, which domestic violence, very serious issue. Yes. Very, very serious issue. If it's happening, it can't happen. Um, and it needs to be treated with the appropriate seriousness. But they got their laws and their bills and different things passed in the mid-90s. And the feminist groups inserted their ideology and lobbied for their ideologies 50, 60 years ago. So despite the fact that the father's rights movement as a whole has grown in the past five years, it's 25, 30, in some cases, 60 years behind these other groups that are fighting against it. And the thing about it, it's become status quo. Mm -hmm. Like, are there at this point in time, how many women's groups are going to fight for equal and shared parenting? Z close to zero because the current system is working out for who they represent. Mm -hmm. It's working out for the women. And so they're just able to sit on 50, 60 years of status quo mm -hmm. 
and just try to maintain what's going on. While in the father side, it's about creating that change. And you have to, you have to get, have to have that political capital for that to occur. You have to make it, this, this is an issue that we have to make along the lines of suffrage in the 20s, the civil rights movement in the 60s, um, gay marriage in the 2000s, where our legislators that don't support it need to think or need to believe or understand that they're going to be looked at in the same light as those people that voiced against equality in voting, equality in race, equality in marriage. They need to understand that if you don't jump on board with this and take a look at what the real statistics and numbers are and mm -hmm. what the real issues are, that you're going to be looked back in the history books as someone who fought for inequality to remain in our mm -hmm. country. It's pretty awesome that you tie all those things together. Um, I was once reading about Carl Zimmerman, okay, and he talked about the fall of the nuclear family, okay? And he said that there, I think there were seven great civilizations that came before us, okay? Now, he was a Harvard professor, and uh, he talked about those seven civilizations all had one thing in common, okay, that they were grateful. They all had a Christian-based background as far as their family dynamics go. Whether you believed it or not, they all had the nuclear family dynamic, which is father, mother, whatever, you know, all the way down, okay? And he said that they all, all these civilizations all fell within for seven different reasons. And one of those reasons was rise of feminism, okay? Uh, another one he talked about was the Industrial Revolution, that when that happened, it took the father completely out of the home. Now the father, who was meant to be a mentor, you know, and our kids were supposed to be apprentices, would go with the father, they would learn life skills. You know, uh, Michael Gurian talks about how when boys learn, it's very, uh, they learn by movement, okay? That's why a lot of therapists use throwing the ball to talk to, to men, you know what I mean? Because we're spatial. We, we got to see stuff moving for us to relate, okay? That's part of the brain that works for us. So he talked about when our kids were going with us, okay? And they would go to whatever it was, if you're a leather worker or blacksmith or whatever, in this apprenticeship that you went to learn with your father, that you could talk about these life skills and stuff like that, okay? Now, when the father's role was moved and he had to go work in these industrial places and stuff like that, that totally was gone. So now the father is taken away and he accredited the fall of our society to that. And I thought that was pretty interesting the way you're talking about in the 60s and the rise of feminism and stuff like that, how we could tie that all back to even further back. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And I think I, I don't I don't necessarily have an opinion on society as a whole, on the nuclear family and all that other stuff. What what we need to do in terms of moving things forward is get rid of the deadbeat dad narrative, get mm -hmm. rid of the angry dad narrative remove those things, um, remove the bias that still is in place around the tender years doctrine, mm. where men are able to, to provide the nurturing care that a young child needs. All the studies and statistics show that's not the case. Uh, we need to lose those narratives as a society as a whole mm -hmm. and educate the people because those of us in the father's rights community, um, we talk amongst ourselves all the time. 
but talk to people outside of the community. They have no idea this is going on. They have no idea that, yeah, there are, there are guys who want nothing to do with their kids that happens. And those guys need to be held accountable because they, they ultimately are, are part of the issue holding this movement back. But there are far more dads who are fighting tooth and nail every single day to be a more present part of their children's lives. And our current system in place makes that extremely difficult for them. Like you shouldn't have to pay tens of thousands of dollars to get 50-50 custody. You shouldn't have to pay tens of thousands of dollars to be a present part of your child's life. You just shouldn't have to do those things. And it's not just a court thing. It's got to be a society thing that we expect that mm-hmm. um, like employers. Uh, OK, we got maternity leave. Well, why don't we also have paternity leave? There are some European countries that require a mother to take a certain amount of paternity leave and the father to take a, a certain amount of paternity leave. Um, why aren't those things being talked about? in terms of how we can fix and how we can put the father, we may not be able to put the father back in the home with them every single day, but Mm -hmm. we can make them an active present part of their lives. And it can become the norm. And we really demand that of men, like you probably see salaries go down, you probably see the gender pay gap shrink, if you demand and expect more of fathers, because I think most dads would 100% take 5% pay cut to spend more time with their kids to find a job where they can work from home so they can spend more time with their kids. That's just a fact. There there are hundreds of thousands of dads worldwide that would trade that in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And that just needs to become prevailing thought. We need to get away from, oh, deadbeat dad. Well, that dad who maybe only sees their kids every other weekend, or you maybe haven't heard them talk about seeing their kids in a really, really long time, there's a good chance he's fighting tooth and nail for more. He's probably low on funds. He's probably, he's mentally and physically exhausted. He feels like he's got nothing left to give, but he feels like everybody's viewing him as that deadbeat dad, even though he is fighting beyond what anybody could actually imagine. You know, and it's interesting that you said that because, um, I mean, even here in our state, in in New Mexico, I know they have this uh, program to where if you don't pay the child support, they put you on television as a deadbeat dad. You know what I mean? And I know there's certain fathers out there who are dodging that and not wanting to pay. You know what I mean? But what about the guys who, like you talked about, who are in this rut, you know what I mean? Where it's it's snowballed and now they're behind and they want to spend time with the kids. They want to provide with their kids. And it's just this crushing cycle that goes on and on and on as this debt continues to snowball, you know what I mean? As as their, their payments start to lapse, you know what I mean? Um, what advice can you give to fathers who have fallen in that rut that have gotten the Yeah, that's, that's tough. I think there, there's a very clear cycle you see out here in California with it. Uh-huh. So number one is uh, custody, visitation, parenting, parenting time, whatever, it gets filed for. Okay. And it may take six months or more for that to be adjudicated. Mm-hmm. and you get your temporary order. And it's like this in most states. So you get your temporary order. More likely than not, statistics say that ballpark 75 to 85% of cases, women are given primary or sole physical custody in a temporary order. And so when that happens, all of a sudden child support gets set and it may get set at 100%. 
It may get set like, hey, maybe you get every other weekend. And all of a sudden, then you're ordered the back pay of the six months that the case has been pending. And all of a sudden, boom, right there, you're you're $6,000, $8,000, $10,000 behind on your child support payments when they order them. You've probably spent this time paying a good deal of money to an attorney. You're probably scraping by just to keep the funds to keep that ball rolling. Um, and then you get hit with the arrears and then the ongoing child support payments. And those aren't going anywhere. Once that gets ordered, once you have arrears in general, you got that. You got to pay it off. And that's why a lot of times you see guys, they start out with attorneys and then they, they end up having to drop the attorney because it's a, it's a legitimate financial issue. So I think really there's no way to avoid it, but you can definitely prepare for it. Understand that if you have a pending custody order that you may be hit with back child support from the filing date. If you don't get that 50-50, understand that you may have to budget a significant portion of your income to start chopping away at that arrears. It's just, it's just a fact of life. And um, the system like child support is necessary. There's no, there's no way or reason why we should abolish child support as a concept. Because if you get rid of it, there are certain people who aren't going to take responsibility, both men and women, for supporting their children. But what we need to do for those mothers and fathers who are attempting to be a part of their life is we need to put guardrails on it. There needs to be some sort of guardrails to prevent poverty. Because right now, essentially what our system does, it creates two low-income households. So you have the father that a great deal of his income is now going to child support. Then you have the mom on the other side, who has primary or full custody? Well, white single mothers make 75 cents to every father's dollar. Black single mothers make 64 cents to every father's dollar. And Hispanic single mothers make 52 cents for every dollar that a father makes. So we're, we're ending up creating two low-income households for these kids. And how in the world is that in the best interest of the child when we know that poverty is one of the leading indicators on a whole wide range of issues in child development. So there's no thought in that. And then the second piece on that is our current child support laws, whether the dad has the kids four days, eight days, 15 days a month, there's no thought of how is the, how is the non-custodial parent going to pay for the kid's standard of living to stay the same because it's all about money flowing from non-custodial parent to custodial parent. So there needs to be those guardrails and then there needs to be some more thought in, hey, even if he's only got the kid, he or she has the kids for four days a month, eight days a month, yeah, they still got to pay for the house with the bedrooms for them. They still got to make sure they have clothes. They still have to feed them on those when they have them. They still have activities to pay for. So right now we've kind of lost sight um, of, of those issues and what's truly in the best interest of the child. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it's men, it's our fault that it's that way. Because for every group, for every positive influence, for every positive voice, in the father's rights movement, there are five guys who just simply want to complain about child support. 
or email or message me and say, hey, all I need you for is to lower my child support payments. Well, that's, that's not the purpose uh, of what we got. If we get equal and shared parenting, if you become more involved and we make that happen, then you're going to have more parenting time, more parental responsibility, and subsequently that child support payment will go down. So it seems to be like men are their own worst enemies in this fight. You know what I mean? Just through attitude or, or just lack of knowledge. You know what I mean? I, I've heard it say where, you know, my people suffer because of lack of knowledge. And it seems that that's, that's what's happening here. You know what I mean? These guys don't really know the, the picture down the road. They just see right in front of them. They get this tunnel vision and they don't see the big picture that, hey, this is for all of us, guys. You know, yeah, and you have the perception of men. So you have that perception, the angry dad, the deadbeat dad. But then on top of that, I would say that most men dig themselves a hole in mm -hmm. their custody case in the first 30 to 60 days, whether that be angry text messages, whether that be emotional decisions, whatever it may be. It just always seems like the woman in the first 30, 60, 90 days gains an advantage through a man's mistakes. Mm. Wow, man. It just seems like just being like you talked about earlier, just being this passionate man, right? This, this passion that drives men, right? To succeed. And that just gets the best of them, you know, through just acting out in these irrational ways, because obviously, you know, they're very emotional. This is a heated, heated situation. And then it just takes that one second phone and it causes everything to go to, to heck. You know what I mean? One text message, one email, one decision, or sticking their head in the sand. Another phenomenon I don't quite grasp mm -hmm. is you see it a lot of times. Guys will just stick their head in the sand as to what's happening. So studies say ballpark 70% of divorces are initiated by the woman. So mm -hmm. in most cases, the guys aren't necessarily a willing participant. But guess what? In no-fault divorce, you don't have to be a willing participant. You are just a participant. So the woman will go out, hire an attorney, file, and the guy will just ignore it. Or the guy won't take the actions he knows he needs to take. Or for example, we've seen a lot of this coming out of COVID is guys lost their jobs last year and they never went to child support and said, hey, I lost my job, which would have reduced their child support payment because it's going to be calculated based on your income. And now they're coming around saying, I'm $20,000 behind on my child support payments. Like, what do I do? I just talked to child support. Well, most state laws are only going to let you go back to when you filed. So if you lost your job 10 months ago and you've been unable to find employment or you haven't been able to find equal employment to what you had, mm -hmm. those, those, those payments from those months that have already passed aren't going anywhere. We can't adjust those. So it's just lack of action on guys' parts a lot of times that puts them behind the eight ball. Do you think it's because they're denying the inevitable? Like, I know a lot of times guys don't want to face the situation because they don't see a way to fix it, you know, because naturally men are problem solvers. So when they run into a situation that they can't solve or they think they can't solve, Sometimes we tend to act like it's not there. It's that proverbial elephant in the room. You know what I mean? <laughs> they don't want to talk about it. 
You know what I mean? Do you think that's the reason why they do that or? I think that could be part of it. I think a big thing, a lot of times with the divorce and the separation, uh-huh. it's the guy thinks that they can still work through it. Mm-hmm. Um, we men, they all speak for, for all men here. Um, there tends to be an issue with us being good listeners. And I think that a lot of times we don't see the writing on the wall. We don't fully comprehend what our partner is going through and thinking. And so when they say, hey, I think we should go our separate ways. Hey, I'm thinking about divorce. It blindsides us. And we don't realize that this issue had been going on for six months, a year, a decade, whatever it may be. Um, and, oh, well, let's, let's go to counseling. Let's do this. Let's do that. When our partner has been thinking those things for who knows how long, we just didn't pick up on the signs. So there's already a level of finality in the relationship for the woman. And I think there isn't that finality for the guy. And I think the other piece on top of it is the woman just assumes she's going to get full control of the kids. And so that separation is easier for her. Yeah, it's, it's, man, that's, that's amazing. Cause me and my wife, we both run a, uh, at our church, we run a uh, marriage on the rocks class. And you hit the nail right on the head when you said that the men get blindsided. You're absolutely true because every single man who came into the class that we teach says the same thing. I never knew. I never knew. And when you ask the wife, it had been going on forever. They had just missed those cues. You know, they got too consumed with either providing or their own selfish, uh, ambitions or whatever it is, whatever life, you know, threw at them that kind of got them to be not engaged with their family. Okay. They totally missed those cues. And I want to say something here to our listeners, because I said this before on a past podcast, when your dream, right, becomes your spouse's nightmare, it's time to reevaluate that dream. And I, I think that's so true. You know what I mean? Because you start off not wanting you, obviously you get married, you have kids. Your intention wasn't to go through this nasty divorce and be separated, right? You wanted to work it out. But sometimes somewhere along that line, we miss our cues. We get out of alignment with the assignment that we have. And sometimes, you know what I mean? It, we have to take those routes. We, you know, life throws all these curves at us and we got to go with them. And sometimes our spouse is not coming along with us. So that's up to us as leaders to go back to them and try to reevaluate and say, Hey, this is where we're going. You know, what do you think? And I think that's what, that's what I've seen. Like, as far as that in, in marriage counseling, what I've seen with, with other husbands, they completely miss those cues, bro. I think a big piece of it. Think about this. So Mm-hmm. is a a woman is infinitely more likely to talk to her best friend about mentally where she's at what she has going on ask for advice where as men a lot of times we keep to ourselves so it's just our own thoughts mm-hmm. so it's an echo chamber of our own head while the woman is much more likely whether marriage or or just a relationship is much more likely to have opinions from outside of her own head in terms of what's going on or what's normal, what's not. So 
I think a big thing is just the stigma around guys talking about feelings, guys talking about emotions, um, really ends up holding us back. And that's what creates that blind side. Because if you bring your best friend in on it and you're talking about what's going on in all likelihood, he can maybe point you like, Hey, that's not normal. Hey, that, that shouldn't be happening. That's not the way it works in my marriage. And guys don't necessarily get that feedback. Hmm. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, it's crazy that we're so emotionally detached, you know what I mean? And we suppress these, these feelings. Um, I, I liken it back to our, our upbringing. I mean, growing up in sports, how many times did your coach or your father or whatever it may be tell you, hey, don't cry. It didn't hurt that bad. Get up. Oh, you some dirt on it. Exactly. You know what I mean? And, and we go back to that. And that's, that's training for us. You know, we're being conditioned at that young age to not really get attached to our, or even open up to these emotions that we have, you know what I mean? So we're kind of closed off to that. So when we get into these relationships with the spouse, with our children and stuff like that, we don't even know how to communicate with them. You know what yeah, I mean? We're, com we're completely unprepared. We're un exactly. unequipped to be able to be at that emotional level and to be aware in that emotional level to understand when something's wrong. Exactly. That's part of being a show up that is being intentional, being committed and being responsible. And a part of that is knowing yourself, being having that awareness. You know what I mean? Being aware that when you get off of work, you're going to be crabby. You just worked a bunch of hours. You're going to be tired. Right. You got to be aware of your situation, aware that, hey, OK, my kids are going to come talk to me. They're going to they're going to want my attention. I'm going to be a jerk with them. Now I'm aware of it. Now I know that, hey, my limited exposure with these kids, I need to unwind. You know what I mean? That way I can be the best. I can show up to be the best for them. You know what I mean? And it's all about awareness with our spouse, with, with marriage, with work, everything. It's all about knowing and having that intention and awareness. You know? 100%. Couldn't have said it better myself. Now, I wanted to ask you, Mark. Let's see here. I had a call that came in and it says here that the child support system is flawed. Okay. And you kind of already touched base on this, but it says that uh, what improvements do you think that need to be rectified in it? I don't know. It's kind of a, kind of weird. Yeah. Kinda, I get the gist of it there. Yeah, so yeah. number one is that we got to realize child support Mm -hmm. is not the primary issue. It's a symptom of the way our system operates. In general, if we had a system that uh, it was presumed 50-50 custody, a lot of our child support issues for those dads and moms who are actually trying and doing their best and fighting to spend more time with their kids, it would solve those issues. It would solve a great deal of them. It would prevent that dad who gets hit with six months of arrears because it took that long for a temporary order to get issued. Um, and, and I think then it's, it's very simple. Like it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be guardrails to prevent poverty. And it's gotta be that the courts have to take into account, Hey, well, both parents are going to have to have the money to support their kids, whether whether the non-custodial parent has them four days, eight days, 15 days, they're still going to have to be able to support them and support their life. 
Um, and if that gets taken into account, that kind of fixes the rest of the issues. There is the federal issue around Title IV, um, but I, I don't like to dive too much into it because, like I said, the child support issue is a symptom of the bias we see in the child custody and visitation laws state by state. So if you fix that, you fix the majority of the issue. Wow, that's interesting that it all ties back like that. Um, you kept talking about best interest, right, in the child. Always, right? That's everything's got to tie back into the best interest. How do you convey to your spouse what the best interest is for the child? How 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 would you recommend doing that? That's Especially a tough with, one because you yeah. can't control how they respond. You can't control how they act. Mm -hmm. um, if you're able to pull the emotion out of your communication, um, that's the best you can hope for um, in terms of doing that. I think we talked about a little bit earlier about the societal norms and the presumptions. Um, I can remember uh, back in 2017, I received a text message from a, uh, a fairly prominent uh, partner at a Chicago law firm, mm -hmm. and he was siding with my ex. And his text simply read, you know, they're not going to take the kids away from their mom until they're at least three or four. And he, that was a reasonable belief he had. That was, he was wrong. He was 100% wrong, but that's a reasonable belief. A large majority of our society has. So you talk about dad showing up and dads being present. Mm -hmm. Well, the first step in, in changing all that is just doing that every single day, irregardless of your situation is showing up in any way you can being present in any way you can. Um, and, and showing good faith. Now, we're never going to get rid of, of child custody cases that end up dragging on for a decade. Mm. We're never going to get rid of that just because there are certain situations where the parties are just never going to agree. Um, but you can always do your part. Um, and a, a lot of it stems from just the different way that men typically parent from women. The biggest thing that gets cited by women is, oh, he can't care for him. He's too rough. He lets him do things I wouldn't do. Well, studies have shown in terms of child development, men provide something different. Yeah. Um, like uh, Warren Farrell in Boy Crisis talks about physical play mm -hmm. and how that's so imperative to both boys and girls in their development. But dads are the ones who primarily provide the physical play. Um, so there's just different, there, there's just different views and differing opinions. It's got to be one of those things, get rid of the angry dad stigma, get rid of dads can't be nurturing. And, and a lot of that is just showing up every single day and being the best father, irregardless of the situation you're put in. Mm -hmm. No, I like that. I like that a lot. I had a, a, a question that came in, if you don't mind. Now, I don't know, maybe you could explain this better. Um, he was asking, what do you think about picking, like, because he's saying that there's biased judges sometimes, right, in the court system that side with women or whatever like that. He's saying that he recommends fathers do the research for these, these custodial hearings on the, the, uh, the judges and see what their their caseload is, I guess, based on how they're siding with that. Do you recommend that? 
or you, you get what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, very. It's different state to state. So okay, I'll explain okay. how it is here in California. Okay. So in California, you get a preemptory challenge. So you may have, depending on the courthouse you're in, there may be 20 judges, there may be four. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It just depends on the courthouse, the area you're in. If you're in Orange County, there's 19 judges. Mm -hmm. And this is where an attorney can come into play based on the facts of your situation they can kind of determine, hey, this is not probably going to be the best person to be in front of and can strike that judge and get it sent to another uh, courtroom. But in, in California, once you get started, once a, an order has been issued, the only way to get rid of a judge is for a judge to recuse themselves. That's it. So I don't necessarily think, I think we've... Uh, as time has gone on, there's less and less sexism. I think judges are more sensitive to women complaining about domestic violence than men, just as like a broad brush um, issue. But I, I don't, there, there definitely are some judges who sit on the bench who have hard and fast beliefs. But from what I've seen, and we're working on a project out here in California um, about judges and their temporary order decisions, and you're seeing more and more judges be willing to immediately grant 50-50. And it's like, oh, you're high conflict. Um, you're both complaining about each other. Uh, well, we're going to order a week-on, week-off temporary custody order. So the, the temporary decisions by judges are moving more in favor of men. Um, the percentage is, I think, with the census, it was down to like 78%. Um, and it has been up in the eighties forever. So things are moving in the right direction. It's, it's really, really tough. There are definitely judges that dads want to avoid. There are judges that moms probably want to avoid. Um, and there's always going to be that even when you get a presumption of 50, 50. So, I mean, that, that's really a, an attorney in your area is probably best equipped to like, what is going to be the best strategy for us moving forward because, hey, maybe you get assigned to a judge that's middle of the pack, is a little bit of a wild card. Well, do you want to take the chance? If you have a good case, do you want to take the chance and end up in one of the bottom end judges who, who always orders in, uh, or always rules in mom's favor just for the hope of maybe getting a judge that's a little more favorable? It's, it's, a, it's a complex issue that I don't think is as big an issue as dads want it to be. I think there's a lack of accountability early in the case, like I said, first 30, 60, 90 days, dads usually should shoot themselves in the foot. And if you avoid those mistakes, I think you're infinitely more likely to be successful in the temp order and also as the case progresses. Man, Mark, you had so much great, valuable information. I know our, our listeners are just going to be blessed by it, brother. I appreciate your time. Now I want to wrap it up and have you share with our audience how they can get a hold of you because a lot of our audience is based in California. Uh, can you share with us how they can get a hold of you? If you don't mind? Yeah, definitely. So on social media, on uh, we're most active on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, you can find me at the Father's Rights Attorney. Um, any support there appreciated. Or to get in contact with me via email or message, uh, the website is realfathersrights.com. R E E L fathersrights.com and there'll be a contact form. My email's on the website and uh, you can, you can reach out to me there either on Facebook, YouTube, or uh, directly via the contact information on my website. 
Mark, once again, it's a pleasure to have you on here, brother. And I look forward to bringing you back on here and share some more of your valuable information, brother. Thank hey, you. thank you. It was my pleasure.